one, two. Amen. It's really good to be here for my third time, actually. Um, two years ago, I came. I just heard about what God was doing in this church before you was two congregations. And coming from the UK, I said, God, I want to jump in the wave of revival. And when I arrived here and saw the worship and just how people were fervent in their passion and their desire for God, I said, I'm in the midst of a revival. And I came back the year after and still God was doing amazing things in this congregation before you had planted out two congregations. And I just said, God, there is a revival happening here. And so I want to encourage each of you who are here today that you are in the midst of a revival. You're in the brink of a revival. And so in the brink of a revival, God can do anything. And it's so exciting. And so before I dive into the word, um, it's great to have my wife and two children with me. Just give us a little wave. Awesome. And um, yeah, this ain't part of the script. You know, as preachers, sometimes you kind of have a script ready, particularly when you're going into a new setting. Um, but this ain't part of the script. And as the worship was going on um, and I was just there, I really felt um, as a congregation for us to lift up Leonard in prayer. And I remember about uh, a year ago, you know, I was, I was feeling really rough. And I, I said to my congregation of 200 plus people, I said, how many of you prayed for me this week? And only a couple of people put their hands up. And I said, guys, it's, it's been a tough week. And the person that's laboring and leading among you, the, the Bible actually says if you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatters. And in the midst of a revival, and many of you are coming and enjoying, we, we must not forget. It's not about one man. There's an eldership and there's a team of people. But it's also important to recognize that actually... God, the person you've placed amongst us does have a growing family and has the challenges of life. And we must be fervent in praying for those who God puts over us. So I'm wondering if we can just stretch out our hands towards him. And if there's anyone here close to him, you can just place your, your hands upon him. And let's just begin to pray for him. Yeah, Father, we pray for Leonard and we pray for his wife and his three children, and we pray blessings upon them. We pray strength and encouragement to come to them. We pray, Lord, that he will continually hear your voice as he seeks you. Lord, we pray for their marriage, that, Lord, you will keep them united, keep them one, keep their communication strong and healthy. And even as they pour out their lives and sacrifice, for the saints, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage them. We pray that you would pour back into both of them, Lord. We pray into the area of their parenting, that you would give them the strength and the grace, Lord God, Father, to raise up the, their newborn baby and also their two children. We pray for strength in that area. And Father, as Leonard leads the church and leads elders and mobilizes teams, Lord, and outreach teams, we just pray for more of your vision, Lord. We pray that he will continue to hear your voice, Lord. And so right now, I'm praying for you to anoint his head with oil, that his cup 
would run over. The Bible says that you would lead him beside still waters. And so, Father, where there may be a shaking and a troubling of waters, we pray just for periods and patches of rest, rhythms of rest. So I speak a blessing upon him. And Lord, just ignite within each and every one of us a passion and a desire and a heart to pray for him and to encourage him, to send timely messages of encouragement. We thank you for the gift that he is, not only to Stellenbosch, not only to Joshua generation, but we thank you for the gift that he is to the body of Christ and to the nation. So we bless him now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I, I was going to keep it a bit short, but it's important to pray for our leaders. And I, I truly believe more than just a friend that there is a grace upon him, a great grace. And I'm excited for what God's going to do through him. Um, so it is an honor to preach here. So without further ado, if we could look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 to 7. Galatians chapter 4, 6 to 7. It reads, And because you are sons, or because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Everybody say, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter, and if a son than an heir through God. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia that you are children of God. And because you are children of God, we receive the Spirit of God. And in fact, the Spirit of God causes our sonship to become a reality. The Spirit enables us to live for God and to live with God. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, 14 to 16 and echoes something quite similar. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In Aramaic, the word Abba was a term that was simply used within family circles. It was a term of familiarity to call someone like we do today, dad. It was a familiar term. And Paul is saying the spirit testifies and bears witness with our spirit that we can have a sense of familiarity with God whereby we can call him Abba, Father. There's something unique and something very special about when my daughter and when my son calls me daddy. When, when they say daddy, it signifies our relationship. It signifies something of familiarity. That actually my daughter can come to me no matter what it may be. And she knows that her dad loves her so much. Thank you so much. It would be very, very weird if my daughter said to me, Ashley, 
like called me Ashley. Number one, that's quite disrespectful to do in our culture. But actually, there's, there's a bit of a, a, a removing of the relationship. When she calls me daddy, there's something special and unique about it. And, and sometimes we refer to God by his name. Well, actually, sometimes we refer to him by his acts. You know, when we say Yahweh Shalom or God, God, you are peace. Or, or we refer to him as provider. Yahweh, you're the provider. It's by his acts and he's quite distant and removed. But when we refer to him as daddy or Abba Father, just hits home and drives home this sense of relationship. And as I try to drive this picture home, it may be unhealthy for some people who have had absent fathers or have had fathers who haven't been a great display of what God our Father is towards us. However, I always encourage people that because of our negative experience, it doesn't nullify God as our father. And in fact, we, we shouldn't allow the traumas of our experience. And that's not for everybody. Some, some of you, you've had a great example of a dad in your life. But for others, you may not have had a great example of a father in your life. And, and maybe it's hard when Father's Day comes. That's probably the time that we, we do a lot of pastoral care. People reflecting on what their, their dad should have been to them and in their lives. But actually, God corrects our thinking towards what it means to be a father. And maybe some of us have projected that in our relationship with God. That even me saying that the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that might not be a helpful picture. And so I want to try and drive this point home today, giving us some illustrations. But Paul says we're not a slave anymore. But we're adopted as sons and as daughters. A slave, the mentality of a slave is to act out of duty. Where a son, often the mentality is to act out of delight. The mentality of a slave sometimes is approaching the master with one of fear. But actually, the son obeys and approaches out of love. And so... You are of worth to God. You're of worth. He values you. He places great value on each and every one of us. You are of so much value to God that he would send his only son to die for our sins. And so in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 to 7... Jesus gives us three parables or three illustrations to help us understand the love and the value that God has for each and every one of us. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 to 7, it reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. I'm going to continue, but I just want to pause for a moment. This ain't part of the script, but... The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus. For the religious people of Jesus' time, they would have isolated this group of people. 
they would have said, Jesus, for you to be a religious and holy man, you, you shouldn't be surrounded with the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's the Jesus that I know, one that welcomes everyone. That it doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter our past mistakes and where we've come from, but actually he's welcoming the sinners. And if there's someone here today that you feel slightly isolated from communities, you felt isolated from society, but actually Jesus welcomes the sinner. And it says that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the, the, the very people that were devalued by the religious people, Jesus places values on them. He says, you, you can dine with me. You can sit and eat with me. I will welcome you no matter where you are from. And so whilst they were grumbling, Jesus says, all right, I'm, I'm going to try and help you understand the value I have for the sinner. He says, maybe you don't understand it with these tax collectors. Maybe you don't understand it with these Gentiles. But let me drive home three illustrations or three stories to help you understand why I love the sinner. And so he starts off with the first parable. Verse 3 says, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my one sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, I weren't exposed to agricultural lifestyle or farming, so this illustration doesn't really drive home for me. But in, and maybe for some of you, I know people live more on wine farms than, you know, farming with sheep and cows and so forth, but, but this would drive home to some of the religious people of Jesus' day. And actually, for them, sheep was your money. It was your, your livestock, was your finances. So Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to lose one sheep, you, you know what it's like for a shepherd to go after that one sheep. You know, I, I found out very sadly during the storms last week after the 412 conference that just past Hermanus, I think I'm pronouncing it correct, Hermanus? Hermanus. <laughs> Just past Hermanus, that a thousand sheep drowned. It's really sad. And it equated to something like two million rands or three million rands. And so it's a, it's a lot of money. Like, put the money aside, the sheep, the poor sheep. <laughs> but... <laughs> No, seriously, I do care for the sheep. <laughs> the poor sheep. But on top of that, actually, the finances. And so this one sheep goes missing, and the farmer will leave the 99 sheep and go after the one. And I think some of the people there were saying, yeah, we, we quite understand this story. 
It resonates with us. But for me, it doesn't resonate. However, the next story slightly helps me. In Luke chapter 15, 8 to 10, it reads, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't fully resonate with this story, but I slightly resonate with this story, but I can drive this point a bit home. She lost one coin. Now, for some of you, one rand probably doesn't mean much, does it? No. <laughs> I remember when I was young, one pound meant a lot, which one pound is probably about five rands or 20, 20, <laughs> sorry, 20 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so one, one pound is like 20 rands. When, when I was growing up, one pound was a lot of money. That was like one pound could do a lot for you when you was a kid. Now that I'm older, I'd, I'd be honest with you and say that 800 pounds is not a lot of money. And, and some of you are like, yo, yo, sure, sure. <laughs> and it's, it's not because I'm rich, but actually the truth is, me and my wife spent 800 pounds on childcare to send my daughter to a nursery so that we both could go to work at one point, we were spending more money on their childcare than our rent for our house. And so that went on for years. And so for me, you know, one pound wouldn't hold any value. To the point that 800 pounds is, is not even that valuable. Maybe when we go more into more money, then it, it's a lot of value. And I would search after it and seek after it. But I want to draw your attention to one year ago and I was dropping my children to school and I didn't take the car this day but I decided to walk and the walk was about 30 minutes my wife probably does it in an hour but <laughs> maybe an hour and a half to be realistic <laughs> but I was walking to school and it was getting hot, so I took my jacket off. And I put my jacket at the bottom of the buggy. And so we're walking to school, and I realize I'm running late. So I start running with my son in the buggy, and I'm dragging my daughter, saying, come on, we need to get to school. I drop them to school, and I walk back home. And when I get home, I touch my pocket, and I'm like, I've definitely lost my wallet. And so this is a new wallet. It's not that wallet. But I remember checking my jacket, checking everywhere. I couldn't find my wallet. So do you know what I decided to do? I said, I'm going to walk back to the school and I'm going to trace every step. And so I was looking. I went to the school. I walked all the way back home. That was one hour. Then I felt I heard the Holy Spirit say, go again. You're going to see it again. 
Now, I'm not a prophet. I went walking back another half an hour. I didn't find the wallet. I walked back home. And now I'm feeling a bit depressed. Now I'm feeling like I'm not a prophet. I didn't hear the Lord. And I cannot find my wallet. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to the school later on. I'm going to check one more time. And so I walked back to the school, picked them up. I couldn't find my wallet. I walked back home. And I remember my wife came home and I just wanted to go to sleep. I was very depressed that I just couldn't find my wallet. I blocked my cards and I ordered new cards. And all I wanted was my wallet. Because this, you know, it's not that I couldn't get the cards again. I could replace the cards and there was no cash in there. But I wanted my wallet. And so I got a replacement of my cards. And so I got a new wallet. And that week, me and my wife went to the park with our children. And we was playing with our children. And when I went back to the car, I said, I think I've lost my wallet again. I promise you guys, from being very young, I've not known to lose anything in my life. In the space of two weeks, I lost two wallets. And my wife just stirred it in, in the car. She's like, how can you lose two wallets? <laughs> two wallets! And she was only doing that because she's used to losing things and it's normally me on the other end saying, how can you lose things? She loses everything. Car keys, house keys. She even loses the children. I'm only joking. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop making these illustrations because I'm going to be in a lot of trouble going back on a 13-hour flight. <laughs> but the reality was I lost my wallet twice. And ever since then, I bought this strap bag. And for a whole year, I had my wallet in a strap bag that would stick with me. But why do I share this story with you? The thing is, I really wanted to find my wallet. It was of value to me. But the, the truth is, this wallet can be replaced. However, when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you like my wallet that can be replaced. There, there is no other version of you. And God truly loves you. He's not like, I, I want to replace this individual like Ashley can replace his cards. But he loves you. And he places great value on you. So when any of us go wandering, he goes to great lengths and depth searching after us. And I wonder if there's some people here today that, you know, you're questioning your worth. You're questioning whether, you know, God loves you, whether he's hearing your prayers. When you're calling out to him at night, when you're crying out to him because you've been through a tough breakup or you know a relationship has broken down or you're not sure you know what the next step looks like concerning your career concerning your education and God says I love you and he places great value on each and every one of us and so I, I drive this story home and then I'll prepare to close Jesus said, I spoke to you about the sheep, and you understood. I spoke to you about money, and that began to hit home. But now, let me share this story with you about a son. And he says, in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, he says, There was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out of one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. I'm going to continue, but this is a son who is in his father's house. His, his father seems to be wealthy that he can hand him an inheritance. But the son goes so far astray that his worth is now come so low that he's even willing and about to eat what the pigs eat. You see, the, the pigs are not of value. Maybe to some farmers, but for, for many of us, you look at you know, many different people around the world, pigs, bacon, you don't touch that. That might not be my story, but for many people, pigs are unclean. You go to the farm, you, you smell pigs, and it's not a pleasant smell. And this, this son who was in a house is now likened to a pig because he's about to eat what the pigs eat. And the Bible says, but when he came to himself, and my prayer is that that will become a reality even now, even tonight when some of you go to sleep, when you wake up in the morning, this year it will become a reality that you will come to yourself in understanding the value that the Father places on you, his children. That yes, you you may be saying, no, but he, he loves others. I'm, I'm not sure it's me. And if that's you thinking today, I'm not sure it's me. Yes, it's you. I couldn't say it any clearer that I hear God saying, yes, it's you. That I place value on you. And so when the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? but I perish here with hunger. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. You see, the son is working it out in his head. He said, I'm, I'm going to go to my father. I'm, I'm worth more than a pig, but I'm not worth or worthy of being called a son. In fact, let me go to my father and just, I want to be like one of the hired servants, if, if he would even allow me that. And so he goes to the father, but while he is still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And that is the heart of the father. That we're saying, father, I'm not worthy of you. Maybe Last night, maybe yesterday, I entangled myself with sin. Maybe last month, this year, I've entangled myself with sin and I'm wrapped up in condemnation and in guilt. And I'm not worthy, Father. I can't shake it off. The Father says, you're my son. And you're my daughter. That when you return to me, there is a celebration that is going on. We often talk about the celebration at baptism. Two people got baptized today at 4 p.m. service. And we often think about the celebration of new birth. But there's also a celebration when we turn back to him. And I believe that there's a celebration here today that God's saying the son took the initial step. And today if we would take the initial step. A step to arise and go to the Father. The Bible says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But in that, you may be thinking, I'm the one that's going out to the Father, but his spirit has already been working. He's already done the reaching out to you and he's been knocking on the door of your heart saying, if you would open Your heart to me, I will sup with you, and you will sup with me. And so I'm going to prepare to land here. Um, I'm just wondering if the keyboardist can help me close out. I've been doing that a lot lately. Normally in our own congregation, they know when I'm landing, they'll just bring the keyboard. Because what the keyboard does, it makes me just stop talking. It's like... Like the keyboard helps me, otherwise, Leonard will be looking at his watch and looking up. <laughs> but as I want to drive home this point, that at times we can find ourselves like a slave, just going to God out of duty rather than out of delight. So, I want to share us one more story from the scripture before we close out in Luke chapter 2 41 to 49 it reads that Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover this was something they'd done as a religious duty and as a religious act this was a part of their religion Every year they would do this. And as was the custom, they, they had God, they had Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus with them. And yet year by year they were still caught up in religion and in duty. And it says when Jesus was 12 years old, they had God 
with them, Emmanuel with them for 12 years, living with them, yet they're wrapped up and caught in religion. And it says, when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. I find this so interesting that they went a whole day's journey journey, thinking that Jesus was with them, but he was not with them. I wonder how many of us, that's our reality, that we go to church and you know, we pray, we do religious acts and duties, but yet Jesus is not in our midst. That there's no relationship. And somehow we've gone ahead of him. And it says, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. You know, many of us know that when we're not close with Jesus, we're asking others to pray for us. Rocks and others, with your relationship with God, I'm, I'm leaning into you rather than me hearing from him myself. But actually, when they did not find him among the relatives, there were no prophetic words for them. I'm using illustrations here, this ain't the case, but for, for ourselves, when we go to others and we want to hear from God and realize actually, I'm not connecting with Jesus, even through asking my friends to pray for me or seeking a word from them or trying to hear what the preacher's saying. There's still no connection with Jesus. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And I am pulling on a bit of revelation here and inspiration as opposed to what the text is exactly saying, but Jesus is here. He's here and he's saying, maybe you've been searching for me on the web, searching for me through books, Christian books, searching for me through people, but I'm here. And today, the Father wants to place value upon you once again. And so I wonder if there's anyone here today that like the prodigal son, you're going to rise and go to the Father. And if that's you and you're here today, I want to invite you forward as a step, as an act to say, Father, I'm going to take the initial step to go to you. And I'm believing that you're going to reach out to me. So about this time, why don't we all stand? And if there's anyone here today that 
you've been struggling with your identity, struggling with the value in which the Father places upon you, please do take this step to come forward. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. The Father sees you through this step and this act of obedience. And he's reaching out to you.